0: I think I have the credits this time, don't I? You do. Oh, oh, man. All right. This is is like a full-time job. Well,
1: I I have a thought. 80% chance I will fall flat on my face doing this. It'll be a spectacular failure. But uh, I kind of want to do it like a film noir uh, voiceover. (laughs) Holy
0: crap. (laughs) I don't know if I could read these in that. No, you can just do it your way. I'll, I'll just prompt you, and you can just do the normal thing. Well, let me let me hear your film noir, and I'll, I'll see if I can do it. That,
1: you want to just do this? Is like a I'll start, and then if it's a disaster,
0: yeah, that's fine. All right, live music for this. We need to set the
1: mood. I guarantee you, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> this will end up on the front of the show. As look at this hilarious, how hilariously bad we are at this. All right, it was a cold October <laughs> evening. Nah, forget it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you failed that
1: fast. Yeah, I'm bailing there's no way. The deeper I go, the farther the, the more embarrassing it'll be the farther in I get.
0: Alright, fair enough. <laughs> I, I didn't even it didn't even get to the point where you would fall on your face because I fell so badly on my face. I was willing to go with it, but I'm more than happy if you're willing to pull the plug. I'll I'll do it with the, you. The plug is pulled. All I'll right. put
1: this on the front just to show what an idiot I am. And then <laughs> I'll like, start the show with the real show. Music starts. Alright. <laughs>
0: Uh, okay. So I'll just do the normal thing then. Yeah, but I do need, I need, I need the word yeah, document up because there's no way I have any chance. It would have been harder doing it film. I'm going to admit doing it film noir would have been really hard and I probably <laughs> would have said, yeah, you got to do one, but no, I, I think I can do this.
1: No, I, I, w- I would have said, just do it your way. And I would have probably, I, I kind of want to take another crack at it. <laughs> All <right.
0: laughs> try it again. I'm, I'm ready, but you got to flip over quickly so that you can, I can pull, yeah, yeah, pull yeah. it I'll, up. I mean, once I start the music, I'll
1: flip it over. All right.
0: There's no way I'm gonna pull this off. I'm not gonna look at you. I'm gonna give you a better shot. All right, fine.
1: It was a cold October evening the day we sat down to record the latest episode of the. Uh, I almost said bad puns. You were you were it's awful. Getting there. I was getting there. Whatever. I'm gonna keep going. No, the yeah. Arms Race Podcast. No,
0: restart it. Restart it. Come on. <laughs>
1: You, are we going to do this? Yeah, I mean, with enough repetition, you're going to get it, right? I, I feel like we're just wasting time
0: now. Well, what's the? Some people might say that about the entire endeavor. <laughs> Fair enough. I need the uh, word document. Yeah, you're right.
1: It was a cold October evening, the day we sat down to record the latest episode of the Arms Race podcast, cold and damp, like the nose of a sick dog. I got nothing else. (laughs) Anyway, this is the Arms Race Podcast. I'm just going to keep going. The Arms Race Podcast, we we try to determine who has the highest body count in movie history. history. I'm Kevin Keene.
0: And I'm Mike Olson. And tonight, we'll be discussing Farewell, My Lovely, released by Abco Embassy Pictures on August 8th, 1975, starring Robert Mitchum, Charlotte Rampling, John Ireland, Sylvia Miles, Anthony Zerbe. Harry Dean Stanton, and introducing Jack O'Halloran, written by David Zelig Goodman, based on the novel by Raymond Chandler, directed by Dick Richards. In addition, we will be discussing The Long Goodbye, released by United Artists on March 7th, 1973, starring Elliot Gould, Nita Van Pallant, Sterling Hayden, Mark Rydell, Henry Gibson, and Jim Boughton as Terry Lennox. Written by Lee Brackett. Based on the novel by Raymond Chandler. Directed by Robert Altman.
1: What a disaster. I really blew that, didn't I? <laughs> no, it's
0: fine. <laughs> so It was fun to try. Uh, it, was a, it was a valiant attempt. I shouldn't have been surprised either, because definitely this genre in film noir is your thing, so I shouldn't have been surprised that you would... Uh, I, I'm surprised, actually, you didn't write an entire intro. I, I wanted to do it off
1: the top of my head, but in hindsight, that was, that was not the smart way to do it. I was like, ah, I'll just make it up. No, the pressure of the music playing. We usually don't have music in our ears when we're doing that intro, so very difficult. (laughs) I wanted to have the music, and then I blew it.
0: That's all right. That's fine. Um, So yeah, this is uh, one of our bonus episodes, and as we noted, we're we're covering two uh, loosely tied together through. Outrageously small parts by Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I had no idea because I had not (laughs) seen either one of these movies. Obviously, too small to cover
1: on their own, but uh, I, I, you know, it was like together. Maybe it's worth, you know, it's enough of a link to do them together.
0: Yeah, and I'll. I mean, if you're going to have covered any of these, it would have to be together, um, without a doubt. And what was interesting for me is that, despite the fact that they're based on similar source material. The feelings of these movies, at least for me, couldn't be more different. Yeah, they're very different. And I'm glad, it just so happens,
1: uh, I didn't recommend this, and I should have, so I'm glad it worked out this way. But it just so happens, we both watched them in the order of Farewell, My Lovely first, and then uh, The The Long Goodbye. And that's, the I think, the appropriate way to watch them, because Farewell, My Lovely is like the most traditional oh, like, it wants to be a nineteen forties movie. It is leaning into every detective cliche, right down to the music that we just heard. One hundred percent. And the voiceover and you know it's set in the forties and everyone's wearing trench coats and hats. Yeah, and and the Long Goodbye is the opposite. It's a seventies deconstruction. It's sort of a postmodern yeah. take on you know detective stories. So uh, I think that's the right way to see them. You have, you, know, you see this basic standard version of what a Raymond Chandler story is, and then you see the twist on it. Yeah. So I watched it once. You said you were gonna you would watch them in that order. I said yeah, I should probably watch them in that order too, just because that's I think it's easy to see how uh, the long goodbye
0: takes this formula and kind of twists it, uh, w- without a doubt. So for me, just kind of uh, I guess overview. You 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 covered it, and Farewell My Lovely is straight down the fairway, one hundred percent. From the voiceover to the, everything about it, is what you you would expect that movie hit was directed and made produce in the nineteen forties. Yeah, and my first time through the Long Goodbye is I, I didn't have there was a deconstruction, and it's unfair because this movie came out obviously well before. But you you know the vibe at least the first thirty minutes reminded me a lot of Inherent Vice is actually what the vibe that I got with the long goodbye. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a similar so I liked sort of thing actually, because I, I, re, I really do like in inherent vice and it may be the same character, but this, that movie could not be more different of a format. Yeah. Than farewell, my lovely. Yeah. One is very stodgy
1: and conservative and the other one is very kind of experimental. Well, experimental is maybe going too far, but it's very kind of seventies kind of counterculture, that kind of a take on, the character we should uh, say because I don't. We kind of talked around it, but in my stumbling through the intro, I don't know if we necessarily said that Arnold has the small part in the long goodbye, and in farewell, my lovely Stallone has a small part. Yeah. Neither one of them speaks. No, I thought for sure Stallone had at least a couple of lines. My memory—I had watched farewell, my, farewell, my lovely like ten years ago, and my memory was that he had a couple of lines. But I think it's just because. He at least has a role. He, has, he impacts the plot, at least, even, yes, even he def- if he doesn't speak. <laughs> He's not just there sitting around and taking his shirt off. I know. Poor Arnold. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We should, should we compare the two now? I don't, we didn't really yeah, but, even talk about how we're going to cover
0: these two no, movies,
1: why, whether I, we should do one by one or I just would, talk about them together or
0: what. I, I'm i fine doing them one by one, but I do think we should cover both Arnold and Stallone right up front right up here. Right, right, let's here. do it. One, yeah. to make sure we don't screw it up and not at least talk about them since they're so inconsequential. Yeah, that's why we're here, so we may as well get out of the way. Yeah, Um. so yeah, Arnold's long goodbye. I don't know if he was friends with somebody that was on the production or what. That's how it feels, yeah. Uh, because he I mean, just seems like he was hanging out on the set one day, and they said, "Yeah, why don't, why don't
1: you uh, why don't you be in the movie?" So I mean, we'll we'll get into these movies in a bit, but like, there's a group of hoods. There's like you know, it's a it's a mobster kind yeah, of a guy, of course. Uh, and we see all of his men early in the movie. And then uh, near the end of the movie, it's like 10 minutes before the end of the movie. (laughs) There's a scene with all his men. Plus Arnold is there. Just, he was never introduced. (laughs) He's just standing there. He's just a huge bodybuilder that's there. And he's never introduced to (laughs) Philip Marlowe. You know what I mean? uh, The the mob guy, uh, uh, I have the names here. I don't remember the name of the character, but he's, he reintroduces Philip Marlowe to all. He's like, Oh, you remember this guy and this guy, you remember all my men. Doesn't even acknowledge Arnold's character. We have no idea what his character's name is. And, Nobody even like looks oh, at him hardly. There's only one moment where the guy's like, "Get up, get out of that chair. My girl's gonna sit in your chair." And then yeah. Arnold gets up and moves over to another chair. <laughs> That's the only time he's ever acknowledged. Otherwise, he's basically like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, where like nobody's addressing him directly. <laughs> maybe, or maybe that
0: was really it, isn't maybe, it.
1: Maybe he was dead. Only the mob boss can see him. Yeah. He's he's the great Gazoo.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then Stallone. Uh, yeah, Stallone does at least impact the plot, although it is... His scenes and sequence, that subplot, was, I think, maybe the least interesting of the stuff in the movie. Um, Yeah, I tend to agree with that. But it did get the—that sequence got the required nudity that is in any movie made in the 1970s. That that seems like the only reason for that subplot.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that doesn't feel stodgy, is that sequence, it seems, in this cat house and stuff that they probably could have never done if they had made— Oh, yeah,
0: in the 1940s, in a way.
1: There was a, an adaptation of Farewell, My Lovely in the 40s. It's called Murder, My Sweet. They changed the title. I've seen it. I don't remember anything about it, so I don't remember it being memorable at all. Oh, yeah, or, uh, or
0: how close it was to, to this
1: interpretation. But, right, I don't know, but I'm sure they didn't have this cat house stuff oh, in there. I can't imagine. So that's at least one thing. It's like a nod to the 70s, which just like, oh, we can have nudity now, so let's yeah. have <laughs> Philip we'll Marlowe stumbling around in a cat house. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I mean you're right that that cat house sequence ends up being kind of a dead end there. You know, again, we'll get into it, but uh,
0: I think, I think, I mean, there was nothing wrong with either one of them for the roles that they were, but they're nothing roles.
1: Yeah. But that's, that's the kind of thing that in a detective story, like both of these, you end up with dead ends and red herrings. And that's part of the fun for me anyway, of, of, you know, following the detective in this case, Philip Marlowe for both movies, following him through this maze of, you know people with different conflicting interests, and you're never sure who wants what and people are constantly lying about things and following along with that person and being equally confused as an audience member of just like what is going on so i love I like the fact that at least in Stallone's case, he got to as we said impact the plot in that he kills the person who Marlowe is trying to get information out of That's the ma- the madam and she's like she knows everything, and he's he's trying to Get her to talk, and then through totally unrelated things. Right. Stallone's sleeping with her girl, and I guess I, I interpret that as like there's like a lesbian situation going on where the, I, I the madam is taking advantage of her her prostitutes in this place and
0: Yeah, that's what I think I think that's, that's implied.
1: Quote unquote her girl and Stallone's character is sleeping with her and then Stallone just kills her. So it's like Marlo's trying to get information and suddenly it's a dead end because she was killed for totally unrelated. It's just like yes. here's this subplot that has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that it, it's the reason why that madam was killed.
0: Yeah, and that Marlowe has to find another avenue to solve the case. Yeah,
1: and I like I like stuff like that in, you know, Chandler uh, stories in particular. You know, I've seen a lot of movies that are Chandler adaptations. I love The Big Sleep, as I talked about last episode, and it's like they always have this where, you know, he's following a path and then just like dead end, like he just gets screwed over for. <laughs> You know, somewhat arbitrary reasons in a lot of cases. Um, so I like the fact that Stallone is the guy who's just screwing. He, you know, he doesn't care about Marlowe at all. He's, no. just, he's just got his own thing going on. Yeah, he has his own agenda.
0: Well, I think probably the best. So that, I mean, that really does cover what their roles in these movies are. Now it really is then just a discussion of the Philip Marlowe character, maybe, and, and really the movies. Well, bef- I- Before we move on, the one thing I just want to mention, because I'll probably forget later And since we're talking about Arnold and Stallone.
1: Did you notice Arnold look at the camera in his scene? Yes. (laughs) Okay. That's how you really know that he's not an actor at that point. He was not ready at all. He was not comfortable in front of the camera. He looks uncomfortable. He's just, like, looking around, just, like, looking at the camera. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm surprised that... They kept it in. Yeah, like you said, who knows how he ended up in front of the camera in that scene, but uh, it's bizarre.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, So I think probably what makes the most sense since... We watched him in, in this order as well as Farewell, My Lovely being what listeners would expect uh, a 1940s film noir detective story. I think it makes sense to cover that one first and then cover um, The Long Goodbye. Yeah, works for me. So uh, Robert Mitchum playing Philip Marlowe in Farewell, My Lovely. And he was like 57 at the time. Yeah, that's I, maybe it's just because it's such a contrast and I've only seen, you know, I don't know that character that well. Right. It's not—he's not a bad actor. It just didn't—I don't know—just didn't seem like a good fit.
1: No, I agree. I, I think *Farewell, My Lovely* is okay. I don't think it's great. It's just fine. It's just just the, the standard, very kind yeah. of straight-ahead detective story. There's a reason why it's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Robert Mitchum—he's just too old, and he kind of feels—he seems bored. I mean, Humphrey Bogart made this character famous in the '40s, and. I love his interpretation and I think if there's one thing that Robert Mitchum doesn't really capture about Philip Marlowe, it's Philip Marlowe is a very kind of, he has a dark sense of humor and a very sardonic sense of humor. And I think Elliot Gould, and we'll talk about that later, has that much more, almost too much. He's kind of a smart ass for his.
0: Yeah, no. And that, that's where it reminded me of Joaquin Phoenix a little bit in, in Aaron Vice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Whereas I don't think Robert Mitchum really, he's, he's cracking the same jokes but they almost don't seem like jokes. He's just like, rrr, 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 you know, he's just kind of mumbling his way through
0: it. And oh no, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, if if they're supposed to be, I don't know if it's an edge. If if that's what the character is really supposed to be, no, Mitchum. Is just kind of delivering the lines, and it's almost a parody of. It's almost at some point he needed to say the word gumshoe. Honestly, to if it was a parody, that would get worked in, and that's what his delivery feels like.
1: Does he call himself a Seamus at some point? Or am I thinking of maybe I, maybe in the Big Sleep he does that? I don't.
0: I don't think so. Okay,
1: they're leaning into every cliche like they don't care. They're not afraid of being a detective story. That's what they want to be, and they, I mean they succeeded that. They captured the mood of a forties detective story. I mean, it's set in the 40s, so maybe that's why they just said, you know what? There's not there's no reason to undercut it, even if it feels like a cliche, so what? They wanted to be as much of a detective story as possible. Yeah. I just wish Mitchum had had a little bit more life to him. Like, uh, you know, some I'm just thinking about like the, the scene where the cops come in uh, and the guy's like, "Oh, what do you have in a flower convention in here?" because there was a guy who was wearing perfume, blah blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's we'll get into it, but like and his response is just like, no, I had the place sprayed because I knew you were coming. But he, he doesn't say it with any kind of bite. You know what I mean? Like the way uh, he says it, it's just, he's saying it so matter of factly, it doesn't yeah, even feel like he's being sardonic or anything. He's no, just, it's pretty flat. Yeah,
0: it's very flat. I, generally, I think I, I, I like the movie, but I, I'm not so sure about Mitchum. Some of the supporting, you know, actors were okay. I actually think. Uh, Actually, probably my favorite part about it, even though it may not be a great acting performance, maybe it's just the look, Moose Malloy was probably my favorite part of that movie. (laughs) Yeah, Jack O'Halloran
1: introduced, as we said earlier, as as you said earlier, as his first movie.
0: Um, He was probably my favorite part of that movie.
1: Yeah, he's non in Superman movies, which is primarily what I know him for.
0: Oh, man, I didn't even put that together.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Imagine him in a black, shiny like garbage bag suit, and (laughs) (laughs) he's flying around. Yeah, I mean, other than well, yeah. he has
0: a beard in that movie, so he does look pretty different. So, yeah, in near in defense. Thinking it through, is that I'm sure it's just the it's the character name. I'm sure they didn't change it, but just to ha- hear the word Velma <laughs> right. said so many times. <laughs> Where's my Velma? Did you find my Velma?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's such an old fashioned name too. It's Big it's time. very uh, fitting.
0: Yeah, that character fits the stock. Hood, without a doubt, from a 19... Th- for some reason, I, I really enjoyed Moose Malloy. Yeah, I, where I was disappointed at the end. I'm like, no, to be honest, I'd kind of like more of Moose. I don't really want to <laughs> see any more Robert Mitchum as Philip Marlowe. I'd like to see a little bit more of Moose and what he's going to do.
1: I don't know if a story that follows Moose Malloy would be all that interesting because he's, <laughs> he's so single-minded. There's a whole maelstrom of intrigue going on and all. He doesn't care about anything except, where's my Velma? I mean there are so many characters I mean it's typical for these kinds of stories there's dozens of characters and they all want these different things and there's all kinds of stuff going on where's my Velma where's my Velma where's my Velma have you found my Velma that's I think I'll bet of all the dialogue that he says 50% of oh, his, line, his lines of dialogue is some kind it of includes Velma yeah some kind of a variation of where's Velma it works to drive the story forward because every time the story starts to kind of stall a little bit he shows up again and says find Velma I need you to find Velma <laughs> we should explain I don't know how much we should go into the plot because we've got two movies to cover and this is a bonus episode where we we tend to make these a little shorter I mean we could talk for an hour just about this plot because this movie is nothing but plot yeah Uh, pretty much most Chandler movies are very plot heavy but this one in particular there's so much plot every scene is like you know, you're, I was taking a ton of notes just because like, I didn't need to remember all this, all these details because it's just like, this person knew this person and they worked at this club and this is the club owner and he's dead, and but here's his wife.
0: And all, all these characters that are just... I, well, speaking of that, that's a question I like to ask you since you know the character and these types of movies are, are a bigger fan. Well, it me, seemed me, to me like this had a pretty high body count. Am I wrong in that? I mean, yeah. I mean, it was like seven or eight. It seemed like it had a pretty high body count. I think there were seven because most of this movie is a flashback... With
1: Marlo t- yeah. telling this cop what happened, so at that point where he's telling him what happened, there were seven. But then there's stuff that happens after after that where I think three or four people die. Oh, on so, the boat, yeah, on the boat, yeah. So yeah, it's at least ten. Oh, and speaking of which, I'm glad we ended up doing this movie because Sylvester Stallone does have one on a body on the body count. So the,
0: that's kind of a question: is no bonus episodes we we can't include those. But it's a film where he kills somebody. I understand, but there might be other ones that we're not covering. We can't do it. I don't know if there's any Arnold... We didn't miss any Arnold movies that would... I mean, Arnold didn't have yeah, nearly he, as many small parts like this. He had like a this. small part and wasn't in Around the World in 80 Days. We never covered that. I mean, I've, I've seen I'm that, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't kill well, anybody. I'm, I'm sure he doesn't, but no, I don't, I don't think on a bonus that episode. That seems
1: unfair to Sylvester Stallone. Wow. Here's, clearly, he commits murder on screen, and I think this should be on his body count. No, I, I disagree
0: I, with this. I, I do not think that that's fair. If we're, okay. not, if we're not covering it in detail, I don't think that it counts. I don't care about the total body count, but it's clear that he has one. I'll tell you what, if there's, if it, if it comes down to it, this one matters okay, at the fine. very end, I'll, I'll allow it, but. Well, it's, it's an asterisk. Yes. You know, we'll put in an asterisk That's to Stallone's just in case. It may come down to it. You never know. Fair enough. Okay, sorry. What were you we talking about? Uh, no, I actually interrupted you when I wanted to talk about the body count. So we, you were discussing kind of how plot heavy this, this is and the amount of notes that you had to take on the plot.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's just make it as general as possible in terms of talking about the plot. Because uh, this guy, Moose Malloy, who has just gotten out of prison. After seven seven years, I think. Yeah, seven years. Uh, he just by chance sees Marlowe and sees that he's a private detective because Marlowe's on a case, a yeah. missing person's case. Uh, and he hires... Moose Malloy hires Philip Marlowe to find his Velma, his girl from before he went into the into the joint. And she stopped writing him six years ago and he doesn't know where she is. And then while he's looking for Velma, also a guy comes into his office uh, who wants Philip Marlowe's help to make an exchange because there's a stolen piece of... A, j- a jade necklace that was stolen from... This guy's friend, he won't say who his friend is, and then that goes bad, and Marlowe gets knocked out, and his client gets killed in the course of trying to make this exchange for the jade uh, necklace. Yeah, And then, like every Raymond Chandler story, and this is parody in Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, where it's like there's always two cases, and then it always turns out they're the same case. And so that happens here, and it turns out those two cases are related. And uh, the guy who... With, who came in about the jade necklace, his friend who we didn't want to talk about turns out was actually Velma the whole time. And yeah. she has changed her identity and married a judge and there's sexual tension between her and, uh, Marlowe. Or I guess not even tension. Like, they literally have sex, right? Uh, yes. I think that's implied.
0: It's implied in the car, which I'm not sure how well that would work at 50, a 57-year-old Philip Marlowe, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. more power to him.
1: I I do like the line where he's like, oh, back to my place, and she's like, why? We have everything we need right here. <laughs> and then just go out to the car. <laughs> that's a pretty good line for a femme fatale. I listen. was going to
0: say, that is a, a perfect femme fatale uh, setup. Yeah. I'm
1: not a big fan of that character. Like, and That could have been played a lot more... I guess they don't want to tip their hand and show that she's a femme fatale. Like For a while, they're kind of play coy about it. But she's obviously... She's up to something. From the first time you meet her. So I don't know why she didn't play it a little
0: smokier and a little... little, Especially, as you said, they seem to be leaning into everything. She's the only... uh, I shouldn't say she's the only... It's there's a madam and her are the only two female characters in this movie. And they're leaning into every other detective 1940s detective cliche. It's like, yeah, of course, she's a femme fatale. I yeah, mean, if, if everything else fits the, the stock storyline, why wouldn't that? So why hide it? We might as well lean into that, too, but they don't. Yeah. I mean, she is throwing herself at Marlowe from the beginning. and it's, it's
1: relatively clear. Well, I don't know how you felt. I mean, I, I knew what was going on. But even still, I'm, I, I know how these stories tend to go. So I will admit I didn't
0: know that she was Velma.
1: Oh, no, that, I, I didn't even remember that. Oh, okay. Even from before, you know, watching it. I probably saw this eight years ago, so okay. I, didn't, I didn't remember much about the plot. Okay. I mean, I love, for instance, The Big Sleep from the 40s, the, the, the um, I want to say Marlon Brando. <laughs> That's not it. I'm so bad with names, even actors I love, I can't remember their names. Uh, uh, Bogart, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Even that movie, I've seen The Big Sleep maybe 10 times. I couldn't tell you a thing about what that plot is about. I, I don't know what's going on in that movie. So even, even now, Farewell My Lovely, I took a million notes because just in, just in case we need to dig into the plot. I watched it this morning. I still I couldn't tell you <laughs> all the details of this plot. That's part of the fun of detective stories. It's just like you're going to be lost and you just kind of have to accept it and be like, I don't know what's going on. But as long as Marlowe knows what's going on, that's what, that's what matters. He's the one who needs to solve the case. Right? Yeah, totally. And of course he does. How does he solve it? See, I don't know how do we, I, I feel like I want to deconstruct how this happens and whether it makes sense. Because I'm sure if we dig into the plot, he, there's going to be things that don't make sense. He sees a, a fur coat sitting there and he figures it out on right. the boat. Right, but he goes to the boat because he took two grand from Anthony Zerbe, who's playing the, the mob boss guy. And he, he wants to have a meeting with Moose. But their plan is to just, like, barge their way into the guy's office and. Yeah. And <laughs> And uh, you've got Moose Malloy. Of course, that's your plan. Sure. But then what they didn't know that she was going to be there. So they just wanted to, like, beat the information out of the most powerful mob boss in L.A. or something. I don't that's even know. what I assumed. That <laughs> seems like a bad plan. It seems like they're going to be in trouble as soon as they leave. Uh, I guess, well, they're counting on the cops to show up and help them, I guess. Yeah, the, I don't know.
0: They're, they're luckily, they are lucky that Harry Dean Stanton is the only corrupt cop of the, the, the four that decide to go and actually show up to help them out.
1: I guess. Well, also, it's implied that the commissioner is corrupt, but he's not in that car, I guess. No, he's not. <laughs> All cops are basically corrupt in this world. I mean, in this case, there's at least one who's honest, and the honest cop manages to convince his buddies to come along with him. But uh, there's a lot of that in Chandler, movie, or Chandler well, yeah, stories. If you think about the fact that he wrote those books in the 30s and 40s.
0: Yeah, but also, isn't that somewhat... I don't know if it's convenient, but isn't it somewhat necessary because he wants his main character to be the hero? So yeah, isn't that, it easier if you make all the other law enforcement corrupt and, yeah. and he, your detective is the only one you can, you know, the voice you can count on. Yeah. A hundred percent. No, I think you're right. and yeah.
1: That's a big part of it.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I, I do enjoy like this movie leans into
1: all the privatized stuff and I, there's a lot of lingo that the movie uh, <sighs> big time. uses
0: like, uh, like slipping of a fin and stuff like that. Did you happen to notice the fin that they use though? They, they were not paying attention to detail because that clearly is not a 1940s $5 bill.
1: Oh, really? Yeah.
0: I, I did not notice that at all. Yeah, in terms of like the picture. Because in the 40s, that would have been, I don't think it was silver. It was probably the gold standard. But the, the bills look different because you could turn them in and actually get either gold or silver, depending on what standard we were on. And right. That, to me, not, I'm not a currency expert. I'm like, no, that looks like a present-day 1970s $5 bill that gets slipped to, to the uh, hotel manager. So I, I, slipping a, a fin is, is different from that, but the fin made me think of the $5 bill.
1: And then stuff like uh, Marlowe has a line. Uh, he says, "This car sticks out like spats at an Iowa picnic," which is just a line that, for some reason, I, I didn't know
0: what that meant. Can
1: you tell me what that means? I don't know what it means either. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe I shouldn't. I, I have, maybe it's offensive, and I, we have no <laughs> idea what it means. But I, I just something about the phrasing of that I really enjoy.
0: You know, so it's it's funny that you int- you mentioned that. So the movie's made in the '70s, and I realize this one in particular, at least, is is set in the '40s. So the the overt racism you know i yeah. I can kind of understand because of the the set the the time period that it's set in so I, i'm I'm not condoning it, but I at least can see why it existed and I know it was also the seventies so maybe it wasn't as progressive but like, the unnecessary homophobia in The Long Goodbye didn't really make sense to me. It's like, wh- why is it? It doesn't have to be in there, so kind of, why was it? Yeah, definitely. In both cases, it's so
1: casual that the movie doesn't even seem to be to realize that it's doing it, almost. You yeah, know what I,
0: mean? I mean, look, I I, I do kind of get it, because it, it is, you know, police officers and, you know, you know, some machismo. So, I can see why it would be casual, and I'm not necessarily giving it a pass in Farewell, My Lovely, but I do understand it, at least... That it's the nineteen. It's set in the forties. If the long goodbye had done the same thing, that would be really problematic. The racial stuff. Yeah absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I, he does. Uh, he's got ink on his fingers, and he well he kind of paints his face yeah, and he says he's Al
0: Jolson. I, I I did want to to get to that because on like that actual scene and sequence in the Long Goodbye, I think is great. I, if he just hadn't done like that line, yeah, I, it actually really was. That really did remind me almost the most of Inherent Fights. Particularly, I love the fact that there's just like a giant <laughs> yeah. handprint yeah. on the uh, on the two-way glass. I just wish they had not gone with the L. Jolson line. It's only that one scene in The Long Goodbye. And I think, actually, in Farewell, My
1: Lovely, it gets much more of a pass from me when it comes to that stuff compared to The Long Goodbye. Because at least in Farewell, My Lovely, at the end, he's got two grand that he took from the mob guy. And he's going to give it to the family. Yeah, Um. The trumpet player, he's got a black wife and a yeah, um, mixed race mul- son. And it's like, he, he's got this money. He could keep it. And he's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this because the, their father, the husband slash father Tommy died. Ray, yeah. He was killed in the course of this you know, story and Marlo blames himself. So, you know, he's he's looking out for that family. Yeah. You know, so it, which shows that I think the cops in that world are pretty racist and uh, Marlo knows this and kind of plays into it to get what he wants in yeah, some yes. ways. yeah. But I don't know if... It seems like the movie is saying that he Marlowe's okay. You know what I
0: mean? When it yeah. comes to that stuff. No, I think that that's, probably, that's a accurate assessment of it. Right. But that's
1: like the last scene of the movie. For most of the movie, you're kind of going like, ooh, what is this, you know? And, you know, some of it is just... Being honest about the way things were in the forties, it's yeah. like
0: I, again, I, it's the I, it would be the same thing. L. A. Confidential has some of the same stuff. It is more indicative of probably what the times were like. It's tough because it feels like L. A. Confidential has more of a point of view, even if none of the
1: characters are commenting on it. It feels like the movie is commenting on it and saying and has a point of view and saying yes, yeah, this, this is awful. Yeah. Whereas I think here, until the last scene, you know, the, uh, the Throw My Lovely opens with you know they go into this black club and. Yep. Moose Malloy just kills a guy. He claims it's self defense, but so we don't see what happened. And it seems like it wasn't self defense. It wasn't self defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he says it was. And Marlowe backs him up and says, oh, hey, it was self defense. You know, which is maybe the part of the reason why it's, it's a little iffy. But, you know, just the fact that the movie doesn't care about that. Like, the cops don't care. Marlowe doesn't care. And the movie doesn't care. That oh, no.
0: character's death. It totally moves on. It yeah. moves
1: on entirely. The, that character's death has no impact on the rest of the plot. Nope. And I think really the only reason why that happens is to get the police characters into the story earlier. Just to give them an excuse to show up and introduce them. Yeah, you're probably right. I think that's the only reason why that even happens. Yeah,
0: and you, I mean, that's another thing, too, is that you write it differently. You probably don't even need any of that. You can find another way to, to get there, but whatever. Yeah. So, we're, sorry, I, I, I derailed us a little bit. Were there any colloquialisms that uh, you wanted to further comment no, on? No, that's fine. It it was it was. I wrote down some more. Oh, I did like uh, after after
1: Moose kills that guy, and uh, Marlo's like, "You better get out of here. The cops might think you've sprained your parole." Somebody <laughs> <He> says that <laughs> "sprained your parole" is a phrase. Just just word choice
0: that does. I don't. I didn't recognize that. That doesn't make any sense.
1: I don't know. I, I like that. It's just a bizarre word choice. I think a lot of this is taken straight from the novel. Some of this, oh, okay. you know, especially a lot of the voiceover, I think is just like passages from the novel. Oh, when he's talking about the, the girl, like, at the beginning of the movie, he's trying to find this 15-year-old girl's runaway, and he's telling the cop about it. He goes, I was working a $25-a-day breeze trying to locate a 15-year-old run, runaway from Carmel, an honor student majoring in men. <laughs> That's, like, so schlocky. That's the most schlocky, private eye dialogue. That that it feels like a cliche.
0: I had one of the, I had actually something on that, too. Um... She had all A's, but none of them were on her report <laughs> right, a report card. Right, not on a report card. That entire sequence, because so uh, the opening for me, I mean, just you, you played it for the opening of this is just over the top in yeah. terms of that muted trumpet. And, yeah, you know. it's, it's cliche. But then what I couldn't believe, Jerry Bruckheimer produced this. Oh yeah, yeah. It mean, was his first movie. He was, he was I didn't know it in. was... I'm like, Jerry Bruckheimer, what? Right. <laughs> this is. A, I mean, this... I know it's not a Bruckheimer Simpson, because Don Simpson was obviously later. Like, Jerry Bruckheimer produced Farewell, My Lovely? Yeah. That was shocking.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it takes time for... <laughs> he was a nobody, I'm sure. He's probably like yeah. in his 20s, but... Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah. Because by the time the 80s rolled around, he was already a pretty big deal. Oh, so, it was, you know. Yeah,
0: it was a huge deal.
1: Yeah, so it makes sense that he would have started around this time. And worked his way up, and uh, 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 I keep forgetting the long goodbye. The long goodbye, uh, scored by John Williams. A yes, pre
0: Jaws, John Williams. So. That that was surprising, a pleasant surprise as well. Because because uh, all of these, I didn't know Harry Dean Stanton was in Farewell, My Lovely. Um, didn't know. I didn't. I didn't really know a lot about either one. Yeah, and so having some of those surprise on the score, and then the producer, I'm like, what? what have I stumbled upon? Yeah. I mean, just interesting to
1: see like the behind the scenes guys who got their start, you know, earlier than you would have thought. Yeah. Um, but no, the last one, the last like 40 colloquialisms that I want to mention. And it's just because this phrase appears in another movie. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you caught this. It's when uh, Marlo first meets the femme fatale. Sorry, we're, I'm not remembering any characters' names. There's so many characters in, in this movie in particular. It's less so in The Longer By. Um, but he meets the femme fatale, and she's leading him into like, the drawing room or whatever it is. Yeah. And he's following her and looking her up and down, and he goes, She had a full set of curves which nobody had been able to improve on. She was giving me the look I could feel in my hip pocket. I caught the line, but what is it a reference to? It was, that line was reused. The second part of that, the hip pocket part, was reused who, who, word for word. Was it Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Nope. It was around that time. You want, you want to guess, or should I tell you?
0: Around the time of Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
1: a few years later. Uh, oh, wait. Naked Gun? It was Naked
0: Gun. Oh, word, <laughs> word for word. She was giving me a look I could feel in my hip pocket. I actually now can envision Leslie Nielsen it's right, be- the- Yeah,
1: right before a nice beaver. Like, yeah. As
0: she's leading him. Yeah. Oh,
1: that- 100% they stole that line word
0: for word. That is a good catch. Yeah. Wow
1: which uh, which is understandable because you don't need to change that line at all in order to make it a parody it's already it it so preposterous <laughs> that it's Absolutely it's is. basically a parody <laughs> i just had it Thank <laughs> like you Now i want to go back and i haven't seen The naked gun in a long time yeah I, I i was like where do i know that line from i know it from somewhere and I, I, eventually i figured it out i think a lot of stuff like that is like Pure unadulterated Raymond Chandler. I read The Big Sleep, and a lot of it is just overly flowery, just descriptions of things. Like he really loves just laying it on thick in a way that I kind of didn't like. I, I've only that's the only Chandler novel I read, and I didn't like it. Okay, I like the movie, but I know, I I don't like the way he writes because it's it's like imagine an entire book like that, <laughs> every single sentence. You know, so that's the sort of thing I was trying to parody in my intro and failed miserably. But yeah. you know what I mean? It's just, it's all laying it on so thick. Anything else uh, to talk about with Feral May Lovely? I don't know how, how I, deep I, you want to get into the plot.
0: I don't think we need to get in that deep unless there's anything you specifically wanted to cover. I mean, I, I actually found the long goodbye to be far more interesting and wanted to spend more time on that one anyway. No, but I agree. If there's anything you want to cover, I agree. It it sounds like you just didn't have a strong opinion about Farewell, Lovely, is that fair to say? It was I mean it wasn't a bad movie, it just it, if I was doing a, a film study class and I needed to sh- I needed to show what a stock 19 not a 19 but not actually produced in the 1940s but if I wanted to show this is what a film noir detective story would look like in a modern film well, not mod, but in 1970, I'd say this is it. But other than that, there's like I'm not sure there's a reason to watch "Farewell, My Lovely."
1: It's weird because it feels it feels more 40s than the actual 40s, 40s movies, you know? Because it's almost like trying to distill it down to the essence of what 40s movies would be. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like it's heightened in a way that the real movies weren't. You know, I think a lot of it's just like the cliches hadn't really solidified. You know, you watch The Big Sleep. It doesn't have that. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have that stuff. Because at that point, it wasn't the cliche. Right. You know what I mean? It was just a movie. It was just a movie.
0: And it just, I don't remember what the score was like in that movie. It was just not like that. But as the more of them got cranked out, you started to get kind of the the type.
1: Right. Like this is the amalgamation of every detective story from the 30s and 40s. You know what I mean? Like if you took the most cliched piece of every single '30s and '40s movies and put them together, it's this. Like it's kind of yeah. why
0: it feels so corny. And in, I mean, there was parts of it of the fa- of that fact that it distills it all down that I did enjoy because it reminded me actually of one of my favorite um, video game series that that I had played when when we were younger. They were were coming out on on the PC, the Tex Murphy series, and that again that was a parody kind of of those but set in a futuristic setting okay I didn't know you played those I never I did I never played them but I always wanted to really so no I I played not all of them I think the very first one I didn't play the but, FMV ones or the earlier ones so uh, going all the, a Martian memorandum I remember there were like floppy disks you had to install and there were like eight of them to get the game on there and it had very you know little you know voice video right. and poor quality but there was under a killing moon and a couple others and there was a probably like five, six years ago, a Kickstarter campaign to do, you know, an updated one. I participated and played that game. So, I mean, it it reminded me, and and those were parodies too, right? I mean, Tex Murphy was yeah. a Philip Marlowe, but a, a cornier, I mean, he had corny jokes and that's sort of what made it fun. Right. Um, as opposed to these These jokes were even worse just because of how they were delivered. So I like that there's an example of a movie I can say, oh, yeah, these remind me of the Tex Murphy series, because it it really does capture that.
1: Yeah, I played a little bit of Under the Killing Moon, but it was just – I played it years later, and it was so old and, like, clunky. I'm like, I can't deal with this. No, It was was past the point where
0: I could play it. And I haven't gone back and actually played those, but at the time, I mean – Maybe it's just nostalgia. Those were really good stories and they were fun games. They were story games, 100%. And, and solving puzzles, which is something that I like doing. And, you know, yeah. I'm not sure how many games today, I don't play a ton. I'm not sure how many of those types of games get made anymore, really. Oh, adventure games? Hardly ever. Yeah. there, There is a dead genre for sure.
1: Yeah. Occasionally they'll, like, they'll put out a throwback adventure game, but, uh, like, you know, like the Kickstarter
0: one. Yeah. But. That's too bad because actually, although that was a genre that I really enjoyed when we were like, 12 to 15, there were a bunch of those types of games, and I, I played a ton of them. Yeah. Um, well, before we move on to the long goodbye, a couple of things uh, I want to mention.
1: Are you aware that one of the actors, and I say that in the gender-neutral sense, was nominated for an Academy Award for their performance in this film? No. <laughs> if you had to guess who you think it would be... <laughs> Sterling Hayden. No, he's in the other movie. I'm saying in, oh, in, in, Farewell, in My Farewell, My Love. Farewell, My Lovely? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's that's what I'm saying. I think Sterling Hayden gives an amazing performance. That was was going to be my point. I think he should have been nominated for an Oscar for that performance. Nobody from The Long Goodbye. If I said The Long Goodbye, I meant Farewell My Lovely. Yeah, in Farewell My Lovely, somebody was nominated for an Academy Award. Harry Dean Stanton. (laughs) No,
0: it was not Harry Dean Stanton. I have no idea. Please don't tell me Robert Mitchum. It was not Robert Mitchum, luckily. Yeah, that would have been a travesty. uh, Was it Supporting Actress? Mm Mm-hmm for not the femme fatale, but for um, uh, the club owner's wife.
1: Yep, that's it. Sylvia Miles, who played Jesse, the club owner's wife.
0: Now, here's the thing. I don't don't know what was in competition that year. She probably is giving one of the best. It's a small performance. She probably is giving one of the best performances in the movie.
1: It's a good performance, but I don't know if it's Academy Award.
0: I don't think so, but maybe the competition. If the competition wasn't really weak, then I'm not sure she should have been nominated.
1: There was a period in the 60s and 70s. Where, you know, or even like back to the 50s, you know how in the modern day it's kind of become a cliche where you automatically get nominated for an Academy Award if you play someone with a handicap of some kind? Like, that's the modern cliche. I think in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the cliche was, play a drunk, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll get nominated for an Academy Award. Really? I didn't think about that. I, I think so. I don't have a lot of evidence play to that. That's, that's my sense. I have a sense that a lot of people... You think about, like, The Lost Weekend. I mean, that goes back to yeah. the 40s, but, like, there's a lot of movies about, like, alcoholism from, you know, classic Hollywood era that got lauded and had a lot of Academy Awards showered on them. So I I think alcoholism and just playing a drunk just got you a lot of attention in terms of acting awards is my sense. Okay, and then last thing, two lines from Farrell My Lovely that made me laugh, the only two times I laughed out loud, and they are Look, this is a gun. <laughs> when he's trying to hold up to the madam, and she's not, she's not telling him anything. Is like, look, this is a gun. It actually—that's probably his funniest delivery I th- in the movie. I think it is the funniest. I don't know if he's trying to be funny there. <laughs> and the other line that made me laugh was. Hey, what do you think about this guy Hitler <laughs> trying to sell the New Georgie trying to sell the newspaper? Yeah, figures. his newspaper. He invaded again. Russia. <laughs> Just a weird thing of like it, this is set like three months before
0: Pearl Harbor, so it's like yeah. it's, it's
1: weird. But there's a set at a time where it's like, what do you think about this guy Hitler? Like that's a question that people may have asked to each other.
0: No, and actually that so I'll I'll cover one other thing. I was I get annoyed when movie when period movies go out of their way to hit you over the head. On what time you know what date is it? Yeah, the, the DiMaggio thing it bothered me. Yeah, I, I can understand it, that. And if, if it was like a passing mention, because actually even the hey, what are you thinking about this guy Hitler? If you just do that once in the movie, you're able to establish you know the timeline of when it's set, and right. then that's fine. DiMaggio, and maybe this was how it was in the book. I didn't read it. Don't know. I but don't know. It's just over the top that. Yeah, we get it. We know it's 1940. We yeah, it. we know when it is. And once you say that how far he is away from the record, that's all you need. You don't need that he's rushing back to get on the radio to see if DiMaggio, you know, tied and broke the streak because it's a doubleheader against, you know, Washington. I'm like, what? You know, no, I don't need this. I get the sense that that's supposed to be some kind of like metaphor where,
1: you know, at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, two, two nobody pitchers got him. It's just like life. Sometimes you just get a bad draw or whatever. I think there's supposed to be some kind of metaphorical meaning to the DiMaggio stuff that's supposed to tie into right, Marlowe, but, but it doesn't work very no, well. I agree. I mean it's or maybe it's just supposed to be the tragedy that he Marlowe missed the historic moment where DiMaggio broke the record because he was in some closet like high <laughs> on heroin. <laughs> As the bad guys, uh, you know, I don't even know. I mean, that's another cliche of of detective stories is at some point, like, the, the P.I. is drugged and kept captive. But they're not even, they don't need to, they're not, like, interrogating him or anything. No, I didn't
0: mean, know what they were doing with him.
1: Yeah, it just felt like it was going through the motions. Like, here's a, here's a thing that has to happen. Again, I don't know if that's in the, the book or not. But uh, we can move
0: on to right. uh, the long, long goodbye. goodbye. Uh, definitely a different feeling, 100%. And I I really do, whether or not the, it's the right interpretation for the character, I don't know. But I really enjoyed Elliot Gould's uh, performance as Philip Marlowe.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Elliot Gould's a better actor than Robert Mitchum. You know, Robert Mitchum's been in good things, but Elliot, uh, Elliot Gould, I think, is just a better actor, period. Um, I mean, Robert Altman directed this. I'm not a big fan of Robert Altman in general, but this is probably my favorite movie of his. And I, I will acknowledge that he's a very good director.
0: Yeah. And that helps a lot. I'm not a huge fan either. Um, but I, I think all of that adds up to a better movie and better individual performances too in, in, the, in the the key key roles.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, this is a movie that feels alive in a way that uh, Farewell and My Lovely does not. You know, I mean, it's, it's a thing that uh, uh, I never noticed until I read trivia about this that, it's a movie, every single shot the camera is moving, the camera never stops moving.
0: Oh, I didn't notice that
1: either. Usually in very subtle ways, or just like moving left to right or right to left, there's not a single static shot in the whole movie. And I think that it's it's like a subconscious thing, but it just feels like this movie is constantly in motion, and constantly, it, it's just, it feels alive in a way. Um, you know, even the, the opening sequence where Marlo's got to get cat food for his cat. I,
0: I can't tell you how... Invested, I was. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it should be the most boring thing ever, and I should
0: not have been at all. Now, it what I couldn't get out of my head at first because I I don't know if it's a Hollywood song, whatever it was. I can't get a. I work for Monty Burns. Sure. Monty I couldn't Are get that could, out of my head.
1: You could also go for guys and dolls or just a bunch of crazy guys and dolls. <laughs> hey,
0: that's my picture next to the pepper <laughs> steak, and don't you forget it. Get <laughs> it. out there, Luke.
1: You're all talk, Hamill. You never even finished Jedi school. These are all Simpson's references for people who don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, if we say something weird, it's probably a Simpson's reference.
0: But no, I I mean I, from Ghoul's performance and I mean he's interacting with a cat mm-hmm. and it has to be 10 minutes that probably that entire sequence It's a long you, sequence. And there were so there were other things that and again, I know this movie came up before these, so I know it's it shouldn't remind me of these. But him going and getting the cat food, that entire sequence, I'm just thinking of Jeff Lebowski. Yeah. Guy. <laughs> There's, I wanted him to have a Ralph's card. I honestly did. Well, that's the thing that's fun about The Big Lebowski.
1: The more you see Private Eye movies and you see how much of a... like, If, you, if you're if you not familiar with Raymond Chandler type of stories, you don't even realize that Big Lebowski is parroting Private Eye. It just feels like a crazy, madcap story. But it's very deliberately following the template of like a Private Eye story.
0: Yeah, and I certainly don't know those movies in that genre the way you do and have watched as many. But absolutely, like, the first time I... I mean, it's not a 100% a detective story, but, it, I mean, Jeff Lebowski, he's a detective. I mean, he's going around, he's following clues. Yeah, it totally is. I, I mean, mean, he's high a bunch of the time, and he's drinking white Russians. Yeah, it,
1: you take a Philip Marlowe type of story, and you just place the most inept person in the world <laughs> at the center of it, and he's got to deal with it. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, that's the fun of it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, that, if Big Lebowski was inspired by... You know, Long Goodbye and that opening was a specific reference to Long yeah, Goodbye.
0: the entire sequence including that, when he tries to pass off the, the fake cat food is outstanding. I love that he's trying to put on like a front
1: to the cat. Where he, he spends all this time, he, he finds the empty can of the, of the cat food that the cat likes. He takes the other cat food, puts it in the can. To, <laughs> he puts the, top he puts on the lid back on, puts it back in the bag, and then he goes, oh, I forgot, the cat's hungry. Like the cat knows what he's talking about. He's trying to put on this front for the cat's benefit. Um, yeah, and then he takes the the can back out and he pretends like he's opening the can with the can opener for just all for the cat's benefit. <laughs> and the cat's still not fooled. No. And even <laughs> when
0: he's in the store, too, I absolutely love the store clerk. Yeah. We just buy this. I have it. All this shit is the same anyhow. Right. right. And he's right. That's so great. Yeah. I don't have a cat. What do I need a cat for? I got a girl. I got a girl. I love everything about the first like 10 or 15 minutes, other parts, too. But I, there's no way I should have been nearly as interested I was, as I was in that. Mm. And then the girls across the way, if that could be any more 1970s, it's oh, yeah. like, this is just insane. Yeah.
1: No, totally. This movie leans into the 1970s in the way that Farewell My Lovely leans into the Private Eye of 40s stuff. Like the, the whole concept of The Long Goodbye, I think, is to take this anachronistic 1940s character, just plop him into the 70s and see how he deals with the 1970s. (laughs) You know? Like, he's the kind of character when he goes out to the supermarket at three in the morning to get his cat cat food, he puts on his tie. Like, I forgot the second time through. I didn't. not I wasn't paying close enough attention. It's like, what is he getting dressed up for? Right. I mean, and later he refuses to take off his tie when Sterling Hayden's like, "Come on, drink. Take off that tie." And he's like, "You know, I'll drink with you, but I won't take off the tie. Take off that JC Penny JC tie. Penny tie." Right. Yeah. I mean, the character is still Philip Marlowe. He's still that same character out of the nineteen forties and has like right. his nineteen forties values. But he's he's just kind of forced to accept the world around him. Like he sees these girls who are like naked just most of the constantly time, constantly doing yoga naked, and, yeah, and just just high, yeah. obviously, just high all the time. Yeah, and he yeah. Just doesn't even like skip a beat. He's right. like, no, and so it's okay by me. it's fine with me. He's
0: saying something like that. So speaking of like the so is is he? I know. I mean, he smokes. It has to be in every scene. He's yeah. smoking. Yeah. And maybe it's just because I'm thinking of Jeff Lebowski, but do you think just as laid back as he is, particularly, and maybe he's just tired because it is three in the morning i don't know, but do you think that he he's either high or drunk when 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 we first see the character, or is it just because he's groggy he's getting out of bed?
1: I never thought about it i mean i I think he's just groggy, but maybe he's he he's still drunk from whenever the night before because right. when we when the movie first starts, you find him in in the bed and he's still got his suit on and he,
0: who knows how he just stumbled into his home. You're probably right. And the cat's hungry. So the cat's meowing.
1: He doesn't seem like, I mean, I think maybe because there's a character in this movie that's even more of an alcoholic than marlowe that maybe he doesn't strike me as, as much of a drinker in long goodbye. But, I don't know, in in other, like, in front of my lovely, it feels like Marlowe's drinking a lot, and it's just, like, part of the world and part of the environment. It's just the thing you do. You know, he's got his bourbon in his drawer in his office, and he's throwing himself a drink. Like, that's just private eye stuff. You know, whereas in The Long Goodbye, I feel like Marlowe in that movie doesn't strike me as as much of a drinker, but, yeah, maybe it's just because of of Sterling Hayden's character.
0: Certainly more uh, of a smoker, because I'm, honestly, I'm not sure that, there's a scene where he's not smoking in this movie. Yeah,
1: and I don't think there's another character in the movie that smokes. I think it's intended to be... Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. An anachronism of just like, oh, you know, everyone smoked in the 40s, now it's the 70s, and everyone's health conscious
0: and stopped smoking. Except for Marlowe. Except for Marlowe. He's been... Uh, he got in the time machine and moved, jumped forward from the 1940s yeah. to
1: well, the 1970s. Well, I, I literally... Uh, Robert Altman, uh, in interviews and stuff that I'd seen... I didn't do a ton of reading, but like he called him Rip Van Marlowe. It was like, that was the concept of just like, he's been asleep for 30 years. And the movie literally
0: starts with him waking up. So it's it's like Captain America, right? He just, he <laughs> crash landed and he was frozen and they thought him out 30 or 40 years later. Yeah, basically.
1: Yeah. It's the same sort of thing.
0: So with the plot, then we get ultimately then introduced to Terry Lennox. But what I, I wanted to cover is that when Marlo in Long Goodbye gets brought in by the cops and that, that sequence and scene we were talking about with basically from the fingerprinting kind of blackface, which is not okay. Yeah. The story that Marlowe tells, it's fantastic because there's no way that you would believe that it's actually true, that he's actually being like a wife. But it actually is true. Which story? The fact that...
1: Then, Lennox just showed up and...
0: Or, no, that he went... <laughs> oh, the cat part, <laughs> okay. The cat part! <laughs> right. I mean, we all watch it, and I'm intrigued by it. But if I'm those cops, if this is like L.A. Confidential, I'm probably handcuffing him and just having Bud White go to work on him, because like, yeah. this guy is just making... He's just lying to us. But what's great is,
1: no, he's actually telling the truth. This movie has such confidence, and just, I'm sure it's just because Robert Altman is, you know, he's a great director, and yeah. he knows what he's doing, but just, man, the confidence to have a 10-minute sequence of getting cat food, and then... You know, there's the scene with Terry Lennox. He drives Terry Lennox to the border. To Yeah, Yeah, just just as a favor. And then the cops show up, and it spends another two minutes describing the cat food adventure (laughs) from the beginning of the movie. This movie, I mean, any other director would have been scared to do that and say, oh, the audience can be bored by this. We can't retell the thing that they just saw. They know what happened. But yeah, it's so funny that he goes to step by step. He's telling the cops every little detail that happened. Yeah, it's it's all
0: true. And it's all true. And it's like, how can these cops not think he is just being the biggest wise ass in the world? Right. Because who would believe that story? Especially because there's no evidence of a cat because the cat ran away. So it's like, oh, what cat? There's no cat here one it's it 's great to see it unfold, but then to re, just have them retell it, and the cops just have to sit there and listen to it is outstanding
1: that 's what I was saying earlier right Elliot Gould is genuinely funny in this movie in a way that I think it 's important for Marlowe to be funny. you know I think Bogart was funny in uh, the Big Sleep, and you know it 's a funny character in a way that I think most people don 't would wouldn 't think. It's kind of like the same thing as in First Blood, you expect Rambo to kill 100 people and he doesn't. Yeah. Think it's the same thing here. You expect Marlo to be like this serious, like hard drinking, he's tough and he's going to punch. You know, he doesn't really get in like fights and things. He's no, just, not at all. He's a very kind of sardonic just he almost kind of sits back and just observes everything he's he's trying to make sense of the stuff that's happening around him but he doesn't he's not actually that active of a character he's not getting in gunfights and fistfights he's just kind of he's a pacifist like the dude i mean kind of (laughs) (laughs) does he get in a single i mean he he shoots a gun at the end of this movie but otherwise like there's no gunfights or fistfights really in this movie it's it's mostly just him
0: yeah no kind of getting tossed around from one part of the investigation to the next pretty much yeah he has a drink and, uh, drink and sit down with Sterling Hayden's character, but no, there's there's no real physical altercation other than at the very end with yeah, Terry yeah. Lennox.
1: Well, let's, let's breeze through the plot real yeah. fast because I this movie is a lot more straightforward. It doesn't have the crazy maze of of intrigue. I mean, when you learn what the truth is, it's actually very simple. <laughs> yes, Cause, it is. Because you know, Terry Lennox asked for a ride to the border. It turns out Terry Lennox's wife was murdered uh sylvia lennox i think, I, think so. I remember characters in this movie because there are fewer characters and the movie's better yeah. and more memorable so and i'm sure you've seen it more times yeah though. that's true i've also yeah. seen it more times and so yeah the cops pick up Marlowe because they pretty much know that he drove
0: he's the last person who saw terry lennox
1: yeah they yeah. know that he drove terry lennox to the border so they're holding him as an accessory but then it's revealed that terry lennox died in mexico so it's like well now case closed you're free to go Marlowe.
0: That's after they held him for a couple of days, though. Yeah, they held him for three which, days. Which he actually has a great line then. I don't remember what the character's name that he's sharing a, sharing a cell Oh, with. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, just remember, it. remember John, they, your body may be in here, but your mind is not. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I couldn't tell if that was just a word of encouragement, like, hey, don't let this place get to you. Or, I don't think so. At or all. if it was an insult, right? I think it
0: absolutely was an
1: insult because <laughs> yeah. he didn't
0: want to hear that guy talking. Probably anymore. was, yeah,
1: because this guy's just going just on and on. just hammering on. But whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so then, as usual, there's a second case. In this case, uh, uh, boy, Wade. Eileen yes. Wade. Yes. And her husband, the writer Roger Wade, has disappeared and she wants to find him. And so she hires Marlowe to find her husband. But as it turns out, He's not very hard to find. No, he's not very hard to find, and all the stuff with Roger Wade and it's he, Roger Wade played by Sterling Hayden, who I love in this movie. I think he's so good.
0: I mean, Sterling Hayden is always good. I mean, you can go back to Doctor Strangelove. Oh, Doctor Strangelove. He's <laughs> yeah. great in The Godfather. I mean, I don't. I don't know his entire filmography, but almost every time that I've seen Sterling Hayden, I enjoy Sterling
1: Hayden. He, he didn't do it. He did not do a ton of stuff. I mean, I think the things that he's mostly known for are you know The Godfather. I always forget he's in that
0: because yeah. he's just like a police captain or something. He's a corrupt police captain. I mean, very integral to the plot, but he's not a, a huge part of the movie. He's not. He doesn't have a ton of screen time.
1: Yeah, Doctor Strange He's so great. And then, uh, have you ever seen The Killing? It's an earlier Kubrick movie.
0: I haven't seen it. I, I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. He's great in that too. It's like it's basically like Reservoir Dogs before Reservoir Dogs. Isn't yeah, that's what I've heard. Or something? I heard. 62. I shouldn't really see it.
1: Yeah, and he's he's the lead actor in that, and he's great in it. Yeah, but man, in this movie, he's just hes just this whirlwind of of uh, energy. He's the only character in either movie that is has that much life. I mean, I guess Terry Lennox, too, is kind of this, like, sleazeball guy, yes. but he's kind of fun. But, uh, man, every scene of Sterling Hayden, I just think is incredible. I think yeah, he's I, getting an incredible performance.
0: And so it's a very indelible performance, in my mind, of Dr. Strangelove. I've seen it so many yeah. times. It's one of my favorite comedies. So... It's and it's a different, right? Because that some of his best stuff is the comedic moments that he's that character is deadly serious. That's the thing. Yeah, he's he's not a comedic character. No, he's not. But he's deadly. Se- I mean, <laughs> yeah. one of my all time favorite comedic lines. Come on, Mandrake! The Redcoats are coming. (laughs) Is one? I mean, delivery. Everything about it's great. It's not in his mind. It's not a comedic line, but it's absolutely one of the most comedic lines. Him and Peter Sellers. That every scene they have together is gold, perfect. It
1: is at Mandrake. (laughs) Are you aware of the communist plot? To rob us of our vital bodily fluids.
0: Fluoridation. Fluoridation of water, Mandrake. At least it's water. Ice cream, Mandrake. Little children's ice cream. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Oh, and, <laughs> seriously. All, all of the scenes with uh, Peter Sellers, is fin- that is what is the gold in that movie.
1: It's such a testament to Sterling Hayden how in in Dr. Of he is simultaneously hilarious and terrifying. <laughs> and it's all together. It's not like he's switching back and forth. Every single line
0: is horrifying and hilarious. You're right, he's horrifying. And then some of the most horrifying things that Mandarin when he said, have you ever been a prisoner of war, Mandrake?" <laughs> well, yes, Jack. Uh, the Japanese had me laying, I don't know if it was real lines or something for the bloody puff puffs. But uh, they make such bloody good cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Sellers can sell such a horrible thing that he was a prisoner of war in like a slave labor camp. Yeah. But then he's you got able, a silver lining. He's got a silver lining that he can kind of forgive him because they make good cameras. Yeah. My leg is
1: gone. The string in my leg is gone. <laughs> God, we got to stop talking about Dr. Strangelove because I need to watch that again. I haven't watched it in a while.
0: I Either that may be one of Sellers' best lines.
1: Watch that, Man Drake. That string. I can't move,
0: Jack. String in my leg. (laughs) String in my leg. It's gone. Um, Um, All right, we need. We do need to get back. So, what I was getting to is that then this performance is. I. He is just a whirlwind drunk. Yeah. Plain and simple.
1: But I think he's also kind of funny in this movie. Not quite as funny, but it's like it's a similar thing where. It's a really tragic performance. He's, you know, he's a guy, he's this alcoholic who's at the end of his rope. But it's also funny in spots where he's calling him Marl- oh, Marlboro, Man. Marlboro Man. <laughs> that is the
0: perfect name for that character. Right, too.
1: yeah. I mean, it, it's, it just so happens. I wonder if Marlboro was even a thing in the 40s to, to make that connection between Marlboro and Marlboro. I don't know how far back... I mean... Maybe not. Because you always hear about like Chesterfields, like old-fashioned... Lucky Strikes and Chesterfields. You never hear about Marlboro back in the old-timey movies. Yeah. I'll bet they didn't exist. Yeah, and just like when Tomorrow. So So Marlowe finds uh, Roger Wade very easily at this yes. like at this like Drawing, uh, I was clinic. A, yeah, it was it was sort of a um
0: a, a an addiction clinic is where he's at. Right. It seems like maybe it's crooked or whatever, but uh That's what I couldn't tell and I since you've seen this more times, I couldn't tell what was going on with that doctor there.
1: I think in the end it's a legitimate clinic. It's just because it's one of those red herrings where it seems like there's a there's something some,
0: more to that and Right,
1: that. and I don't think there is. I think in the end it's just a clinic and, and the doctor just wanted his yeah, money He wanted to get paid for, you know, uh, uh, Roger Wade's stay. But uh Marlo brings Wade back and that whole scenery just shows up at the house and the dogs barking. he's just barking at the dog through the window just like rah, 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 rah. you know, you see he's, he's <laughs> I think he's gotten drunk on the way home is the idea from 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 his deco- detox clinic. He's gotten drunk on the way home and he's just screaming, you know, at the dog. And basically, the, at that point, both of those cases are done more or less. Like That's he's what it found, seems like. Yeah. He's found Wade and Terry Lennox is dead. But then eventually it's revealed that Terry Lennox did, in fact, kill his wife. And it's because uh, Roger Wade's wife
0: was having an affair. having
1: an affair and the two of them were going to run off together. Uh, and there's also some stuff about uh, this, this uh, mob guy. That's the name I can't remember. Uh, Marty something?
0: I have Mar- Marty Augustine, yeah. Yes, I have one. The, I have Harry, which is one of his flunkies and henchmen that was supposed to be watching. Yeah, that's fun. Oh, I absolutely love that guy, and I love the fact in the morning... <laughs> Marlowe gives him the edge. is in case it, uh, you lose me somewhere. This is where I'm going. <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you follow me, <laughs> Harry. Because poor Harry was so distracted by the yoga,
1: right. the naked yoga that was going on upstairs. Yeah. I remember when people had jobs. <laughs> Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a funny movie. I also like because they leave uh, Marty Augustine leaves Harry behind to follow Marlowe, but Marlo's just quick on the draw and he runs down the steps before. So he ends up <laughs> following them. Like he just turns the tables on him.
0: Yeah, and figures out, and that is a plot point that that's how kind of the case gets rekindled. Augustine goes to visit Eileen Wade,
1: right? Because Augustine is out three hundred fifty million or uh, <laughs> thousand, thousand. Pardon me, that would have been that would have been a real theft. Yes, three hundred fifty million because uh, Terry Lennox had his money, and he was supposed to deliver it to somewhere in Mexico, and it never got delivered. But then, somehow Terry Lennox got it back to Eileen, and Eileen dropped it off before Arnold could work over Marlo, or whatever, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> could work over Marlo. So yeah, basically, the, the plot of this is very simple, is Terry Lennox and Eileen, Roger Wade's wife, were having an affair. Terry's
0: wife found out. He killed her. He ran off. And it he, sounded somewhat accidentally, is that it's not, it wasn't like he hit her and accidentally killed her. I mean, yes, but... You You're know, saying the source isn't believable yeah, necessarily? Like, all right. That guy is pretty sleazy. He is, but I don't. Th- I guess I'm not sure that it was premeditated. I think it may have been a confrontation that then got out of hand.
1: Oh, sure, but he says she, she was going to go to the cops about what uh, Terry was doing with Marty Augustine, the, gotcha. the, the mob boss. This all just happened. Like, he killed his wife. He had Marty Augustine's money. He fled to Mexico, not really intending to steal the money. He just had it and had to hold on to it. And then once things settled down, he got the money back to Eileen, who got the money back to Marty Augustine, so that Eileen could then disappear to Mexico. And then at uh, at some point in the movie, Roger Wade commits suicide by just walking into the ocean. You know, that's really the sad part. You think, for a lot of this movie, you think, oh, Roger Wade, something's going on, and he's in on this, and maybe he killed... (laughs) He's not at all. Maybe he was having the affair with uh, Terry's wife, and he killed her, but no, he's just this tragic figure who really wasn't involved with any of that stuff. No, he was just a (laughs) drunk... Yeah, and he just you know basically killed himself because he was at the end of his rope and couldn't write anymore, and he was an alcoholic. That that sequence really gives this movie like a, a gravitas. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of this movie is kind of silly and funny, but then like that that story like that could
0: be a whole movie about that guy. And yeah,
1: yeah. As I was saying, like alcoholism and movies about alcoholism,
0: like and that. kind of how how did Roger Wade get to that point? Yeah, You know, we never explore that. I mean, it's not the main point of the movie, but there probably is a whole other movie right there. And I think so much
1: about The Long Goodbye is about... And and it's worth pointing out, I think this was the last novel. It was written in like the late 50s. It was years later. And I don't know. I feel like this is a a story about Philip Marlowe, who's accustomed to all these complex cases where there's all these sorts of double crosses and things going on. And he's so... He's blinded by the fact that he's expecting that, and he's also blinded by his friendship for Terry. And there's no there's no conspiracy here.
0: The simplest solution. Yeah, right?
1: the, the thing that the cops thought was true was actually true. Terry Lennox killed his wife, and you know, I think it's just because Marlowe didn't believe it because he was his friend. He was looking for conspiracies where they didn't exist, and in the end, it kind of led to Wade's death. Part of the reason why I think Wade was kind of down is because of this case that Marlowe's working on and and he was basically a suspect in this murder where the cops had already solved it and Marlowe's just mucking things up and ruining people's lives basically you know and there's there's a real dark aspect to this that just like almost Marlowe's investigation in and of itself is damaging the lives of the people around
0: him yeah i hadn't thought about that but i think you're right
1: i i don't know if i can necessarily like pinpoint Specifically, like, oh, if Marlowe hadn't done this, maybe Wade hadn't, wouldn't have killed himself or whatever. But that's just kind of the way it feels. It's really what ha- what ends up driving Wade to suicide is because Doctor V shows up and collects on his bill, <laughs> slaps him along the
0: way. Yeah, he does slap him.
1: So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a really good. I mean, the Sterling Hayden stuff I think is the best part of
0: yeah. this movie. I was surprised at the end that old. I, mean, I wasn't surprised that Marlowe tracked. Terry Lennox down. I was surprised that he killed him at the end. Yeah. Was that surprising to you the first time you saw it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not something that
1: any other iteration of this character would have ever done. But um, And maybe
0: it's because he feels guilty about right.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah, like He was manipulated by his friend who he trusted, and everything that happened is driven by the fact that Marlo didn't believe that his friend could kill his wife. And he did. He totally did. And In particular, the line where Marlo's like, uh, oh, so you use me to, to flee to Mexico? He's like, yeah, that's that's what friends are for. You know, like, <laughs> he wow, does have no remorse whatsoever. Yeah, what a bastard! <laughs> that's really the line, and he has no remorse about it. He's like, oh, how are you not seeing my point of view on this? Yeah, you would
0: have done the same thing. Yeah, right? exactly. But yeah, I, I don't know if, if there's anything else uh, it's worth talking about. No, I mean, I'm I'm glad that uh, we wound up doing both of these. In particular, I mean, I know you own The Long Goodbye and uh, were kind enough to lend it to me. I'm glad I saw it because it, it, it definitely... So Farewell, My Lovely reminded me fondly of the Tex Murphy series. The, just watching this made me think of... Uh, inherent vice as well as the Big Lebowski which is fantastic and yeah I can't imagine I'll see another movie where a 10 minute sequence about a, a specific <laughs> yep. brand of cat food will ever entertain me nearly as much as this one did yeah totally and Sly and Arnold got to yeah.
1: get their faces on screen early in their career and Arnold
0: got to get his pecs on the screen too because that's the one so we should explain that for some, that that mob boss is just because just he He's trying to shake down Marlowe and wants to know where his money is, and he's got him. And you think that Marlowe may, you know, this may be the end, and he may yeah, be killed. And yeah. just all of a sudden, everybody take off their clothes. Right. <laughs> I, literally, everybody take off their clothes. Yeah, I, I wonder if that's to get Arnold shirtless. To, up, Arnold. And, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, because Marlo, as you said, he's not taking he won't even take his tie off. He's taking nothing off or every other, all the other guys in the room are just stripping names. I, yeah. I <laughs> the, can't one guy,
1: I don't want to take my clothes off. I got a lot of scars. It's just... like you go in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: That's great.
1: Too. Yeah. Uh, there's one line in there because I had the subtitles on just to make sure I didn't miss anything yeah and I don't know who was doing the subtitles on this DVD but uh, there's the moment where uh, Marty Augustine's I think it's he goes to Harry he says Harry your father was a moil I want you to cut it off <laughs> yes. uh, but the subtitles <laughs> apparently the person who did the subtitle didn't know what a moil was because the subtitles say Harry your father was immoral is that what cut, I'm yes. saying cut it <laughs> off
0: oh, <that's laughs> okay great. sorry subtitle guy I don't think that that's correct no it's not at all um no, so uh, this was an interesting way to cover a, a genre that I can't imagine we will have any more of these really to cover.
1: Mm, I,
0: I mean, I, I was going to say Get Carter, but that's I, it's not really a private eye no. kind
1: of a thing. But it, it's close, I guess, in terms of vibe. Yeah, it's the closest, probably. Yeah. But so uh, yeah, even that it's that's that's an action movie basically. Yes. Like, and
0: I, that is not my pick, which um, I am up to start our our second season.
1: Yeah, so our second Stallone season. Yes, to remember that
0: I know. Yes, you're right. This
1: is going to be our sixth season. We're, we're counting the, the Arnold stuff. Um. So yeah, this will assuming the, the timing of this works out. This will be a new year for a new season. Yeah, uh, a fresh slate. Yeah, absolutely. The timing that worked out nice. So. I mean, technically, this is our December episode, so I guess Merry Christmas. We're recording this way in advance. For the new year, I'm curious to know what you're picking.
0: Well, we, we hope that uh, you're enjoying watching Jingle All the Way and maybe listening to our Jingle All the Way episode, if it is a, a holiday time of year. Or Jingle All the Way too. Uh,
1: <laughs> so many bears. We didn't post that at Christmas time, so I no, guess that's not, not our
0: Christmas episode. Uh, and that movie doesn't really feel like a Christmas movie either. Whatever, the whole town got bears. Totally a Christmas movie. (laughs) So I had the complete selection other than Rambo. Well, no, other than Rocky movies. Actually, the Rambo movies. We're going to do them in order, but I could have chosen a Rambo. I didn't. Mm -hmm. But I did want to open up with with an action movie, so I decided to hit the primetime action uh, movie category to start off, I'm hoping, on a good foot. And... Uh I, th- I have a prediction, but go ahead. Okay, no, go with your prediction first. Uh, my
1: prediction is, I'm going to say
0: Cliffhanger. No. Oh, okay. I decided to go with one that I think I've only seen once, but I, uh, I'm interested to see the dynamic again. Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone in Tango and Cash. All right, I own the, the Blu-ray
1: because as really? it happens, when I ordered the Specialist... On Amazon, it just said The Specialist, but then when it arrived, it was a double pack with The Specialist and Tango and Cash. So I was like, okay, bonus, now I have Tango and Cash. Perfect. So right. I somehow ended up with a free Blu-ray of that. So Nothing
0: wrong with that. So yeah, Timing I, is perfect. I only got that like a month or two ago. Uh, and it's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't really remember it that well, so uh, I'm excited to to delve back in. That's the movie where, uh, uh, is it Courtney Cox? Who's the girl in that? And, uh, is that the movie where she plays
1: electronic drums in a strip club? I think so. It's been a long time. (laughs) I I thought so. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, I'm looking forward to that then. (laughs) I forgot about that, but I think you're right. I always forget. I'm just like, there's a movie where uh, there's a strip club where the girl comes out and plays electronic drums, and it's the most preposterous thing. I can never remember what what movie it is. I think it's Tango and Cash. I think it's Tango and Cash. Yeah. um,
0: Something to look forward to. Yeah, so we'll be back with Tango and Cash.